Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm Brandy. And I'm Chris. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brandy. How are you? Doing fantastic. Fantastic. It's a little hot outside. Yeah, just a little. Just a little. 120. It's a little hot in our studio, degrees. too. It is a little hot in our studio. Yes. Uh, fortunately, we are cooling off with a great wine today. This is true. Mouvedre Rose from our friends over at Rustic Spur Vineyards. Yes. Um, we are enjoying this one. And thank you to Somli for sending this over to us. Somli, we are, you know, talking about them this month because they're a marketplace for rare wine and all of our friends in Texas need to go and visit their website at Somli and check out all of their varieties. Absolutely. So today, Mouvedrate Rosé by our friends at Rustic Spur Vineyards. Um, I love their label. They talk about the label on the bottle. It's one of their vineyard dogs that they're a, a border collie um, that they have on the label. So right. a winery dog. Excellent. A winery dog. I know. Love it. Uh, we, we There's a few of those we've actually seen to go and yep, we visit a few. winery cats, winery dogs, no <laughs> doubt. That's right. I think they go hand in hand, so... So, Chris, today we're going to do things a little different. You and I are going to enjoy this wine as we listen to ourselves from a live show we did at the Dallas Public Library um, while everyone else is listening to it as well. So we're going to sit and enjoy this wine, and we're going to um, share with you the case we did live at the Dallas Public Library, which was a little mini crime con. Yes. Love it. We this is our second year to do it. Yeah, very cool event. A very cool event. Thank you to everyone local that was able to come out and, and say hi and see us. It was really great seeing you and meeting new friends. Um, but yeah, we're going to um, give you some more Candy Montgomery. So Chris and I, um, that's what we did. We gave a live presentation about Candy Montgomery and that crazy case. So Yes, fascinating case. Everybody was excited. Yes, great, uh, great interaction. Uh, you'll hear some questions, some comments. You'll hear us really take a deep dive into the case. I know we've covered it once before, so if you want to go check that recording out, you can. Otherwise, um, sit back and enjoy this episode about Candy Montgomery. Hi, everyone. How are you? Good morning. I'm going to take these off for a second. Welcome. We are, uh, we're Glad to be here. This is our second year to do that, do this um, at the library. Uh, Chris and I are a married couple living right out of Farmer's Branch. Um, we host Texas Wine and True Crime, which is a podcast. Uh, we are going on year three in October of our show. So yeah, um, we always have to clarify we're a married couple. <laughs> don't know why. Just so people know, just in case like they're kind of weird. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, we, we met on Tinder a couple weeks ago and decided to start a podcast. So. Lies. Swipe, <laughs> swipe left. I don't know. I don't know the rules. I don't know the rules. <laughs> the rules. Let's hope you don't know the rules. Yes. Uh, all right. So we're going to talk about, uh, we were, you know, we were talking about this last night and, you know, last year when we did, we were able to do three cases last year. We had a police officer here with us to talk about. Um, he, he's a police officer and he owns a winery. So it's sort of the best of both of our worlds. So he was here last year um, to give a little insight about a missing persons case in Carrollton that Chris and I um, will be talking about in August in Austin. But today we're going to talk about Candy Montgomery. Um, and Candy, I know, I love that. Oh, right. That's what yeah, I wanted we were, to hear. Yeah, because we were trying morning. to decide what... Um what case to choose? And that's just kind of an exciting one. It's fresh in everybody's mind right now. There's a new mini, you know, new mini series out or yeah, a few of I them. Have been out. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's, um, it's just kind of, it's a, didn't happen that long ago. It's still kind of fresh on people's minds and whatnot. So yeah. The Como motel is still there. All yeah. The, the Como, the shady, happened. shady Como motel is still there. So. All right, so we're going to talk. Uh, Chris and I were just interviewed for an article for the Houston Chronicle about comparing Love and Death to The Candy on Hulu. Have you watched both of them? If you haven't, uh, Love and Death is on HBO Max. It's actually based on a Texas Monthly article that was done about this case. And then um, Candy is the one with Jessica Biel. Uh, so that is very good. Yeah. And we were asked to compare both of those. Um, and we covered this case about yeah. a year ago. Um, so and we were at, we. We, I, she's seen the original uh, made for TV um, yeah. back in the day. They use different names. I think it's Candy Morrison or something like yeah. that in the in the yeah. actual. That's I think Brian Keith or David. I can't remember the actor. Who so had. my brother is a filmmaker. He did a documentary oh. on them. Okay. And I I was Candy. 
in the back. I mean, it was like a shot from the distance. Okay. Curly wig and stuff. So it's a fascinating case. Oh, really? Yes. And a million shows on. A million shows. Um, and that's why we want this to be interactive. Um, we are, you know, I was telling Chris, it, we've done this in front of hundreds of people before and talked about cases. But when we get in these smaller groups, I get more nervous because I feel like we're just, it's a small group. You can see everyone, we're, all the lights are on, right? We're typically on a stage and it's dark and you can't see anyone. So please feel Actually, free to ask a question. Actually, we're typically in a closet oh, yeah, uh, true. at our house. <laughs> Not in front of anybody. Yeah, that's where the magic happens yeah, in our closet. the studio. So. <laughs> all right. So we're going to talk about Candy Montgomery. Um, and then we're going to get into a second case if we have time. If we end up not having time, I really, really uh, recommend looking into the Lindsay Buziak case. If you don't know about this case, it's not in Texas. It's a Canadian case. She was the 24-year-old realtor who was set up as a hired, there was a hired hit couple who booked um, a showing well, with her. The, we assume it, they're hired. We still don't even know. Or they... They were hired. <laughs> we want you. So look into this we think case. That, yes, yeah, we yeah. definitely think this. No proof, um, no but if you don't know about it, look into it. Hopefully, we'll be able to cover a little bit of it. But Lindsay Buziak, such a mystery. 15 years ago, 2008, still unsolved. Um, and there is now a civil lawsuit out between um, the boyfriend at the time, the mother, and the father of Lindsay Buziak. So definitely um, look into that. But hopefully, we'll have some time to mention it. Okay. And, and we are recording, and yes, so we, we do recording. have a microphone kind of set to pick up some ambient noise, but if somebody has a specific question they would like to come up and ask. and Just uh, raise your hand. Feel, and then, feel free. Yeah, we can jump yeah. in anytime. Because we'll stop and talk about some big points in this case. So yeah, if anything comes up, comes to mind while we're all here, just feel free. Okay, so we're going to Wiley, Texas with this case. We've got two couples. Um, we like to talk about the characters and who we're talking about in these cases. The first person we're talking about is Candy Montgomery. Now, before she was Candy Montgomery, her name was Candy Wheeler. She was a receptionist, um, and that is where she met her husband, future husband, um, Pat Montgomery. So he is the spouse of Candy in this um, case. And then we have another woman named Betty Gore, and then we have Alan Gore. Now, Betty and Alan... Um, were married. Her maiden name, Chris, was Betty Pomeroy, and she was actually from Kansas. Now, they meet in 1970, and they have their first child. They get married. They end up actually moving to Texas. So this is how the two couples meet. In fact, they actually only knew each other for about seven months before this affair started. So a lot of people think these people were really close friends. They, you know, knew each other for a long period of time. It's actually not true. They actually, seven months. So just think about being a woman. We're going to talk a lot about the relationship between Candy Montgomery and Betty Gore, because this played a really pivotal role in this case, and really in the courtroom, in my opinion, which led to her ultimate Well, um, I think, too, dismissal. just being new to town, she wasn't really ingrained in the, you know, the, with the locals and whatnot, and probably why she was feeling a lot of that. You know, nobody yep. to lean on, I guess, with the going with through the postpartum depression and whatnot. So yeah, so um, at the time of the murder, Betty Gore had just had a second child, so she was dealing with some postpartum depression. This is not a secret. People in her neighborhood knew this. Her husband knew this. He shared this information with people, including Candy Montgomery. Um, but before, let's talk about even before this child was born. You have these two couples, okay? And this is, the dynamic of this is really important in my opinion. You have Alan Gore and you have Candy Montgomery who are very, very involved in their church. They're very involved in social activities. And then they all have children, right? And what happens when you have kids? Somebody has to stay home unless you're together and you have some, you know, if, if it's a kid event, but somebody's always at home with the kids. It seems in this case, that would have been Betty Gore and Pat Montgomery. So he wasn't really around at these social events. She wasn't really around at these social events. So this really, for me, led to the fact that Katie Montgomery and Alan Gore had this time to be involved in sort of the same activities. She started looking at him, started thinking about maybe that her marriage was a little down in the dumps. And this is where I feel like the spark started. Um, well, and through church as well, I guess, too, the interaction through there. Just Yeah, yeah. everything they did was through the church. The volleyball team, the choir, well, everything I mean, they were involved in. They didn't in necessarily have to be alone to have the sparks. I just think that's probably where the opportunities arose to, um, yeah. to actually start to... Um, how do you say? Well, and, their spouses and, aren't around to see the conversation. That's what I mean, right? and engaging in these activities or whatnot. So, so. Yeah. So uh, one thing that is true that was like, is that true? Is that not true? Katie Montgomery did actually throw Betty Gore's baby shower for her second child. So 
these women were close enough for her to plan a baby shower and invite people. Um, but she basically did this because she felt like Betty could have used it and that she Betty and Candy were a little different with their personalities as far as like how social they were. Candy Montgomery was very social. She was very involved in her kids' activities. She was um, always at the church, always at the preschool, always helping. Betty Gore, um, and if you've seen these shows, you see the look on the actresses' faces that are playing Betty Gore. She's not smiling. She looks depressed. She looks sad. And to me, that's kind of sad in these shows because her, yeah, Betty Gore's I, I family will say, this is say not that, how she really was in life. They don't really portray her in a favorable a favorable light, I guess you could easily say. you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, not only that, but I think because of that portrayal is, is another reason the trial ended the way it did is because they really kind of made her the aggressor in this case. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about um, Betty now has had her baby. The, it's, a, it's a baby in a crib. Um, you know, she's staying home. She has another little one, and that little one is friends with Candy Montgomery's children. So the day before the murder, um, Betty Gore's child was sleeping over at Candy Montgomery's house. The next day, the kids were having a play. She took them at the preschool. She was at the preschool, but she noticed she had not heard from Betty, and Betty was not either answering the phone. There was, she said she was trying to get a hold of her. So this is based on testimony and court documents in this case. Um, so she decides to go over to the house, and that's the day of the murder. So she goes over um, to Betty Gore's house. Now, I want to I stop for a second. Um, before... Before, wait, uh, before I get into that, I want to I talk about um, something else. I want to talk about the whole affair, okay? Let's talk about this entire affair between these two. So these two decided that they were going to have an affair. He, and, and I, if you haven't seen the shows, you should, because they portray Alan Gore as boring, not very good looking, sort of wiry, not someone a, a outgoing, attractive, bubbly woman would typically try, in my opinion, um, target as a, a lover, right? Well, yeah, we're I all mean, adults in this room. We can and granted, this. we're basing this on uh, portrayals um, in film. Yep. However, you you would, by all accounts, you'd think that um, Candy's husband was a much more fun gentleman. <laughs> yeah, people than, liked Pat Montgomery. Mr. Gore. Both of these yeah. men worked for the same company. They were not friends. In fact, Pat Montgomery actually found out about this affair before before any of this happened. The husband, he just never went to Alan Gore about it. Did you know that? Did you know her husband actually, she told her husband eventually about the affair. So that's how, I mean, he knew. Because remember. Yeah, I thought that was kind of strange too, the no confrontation, I guess, because she said it was ended, it was over. Um, yeah. I just find it hard to believe that um, a husband wouldn't do anything about it, but maybe that yeah. um, was the, the portion of her personality that he did not like, because, I mean, that's very passive um, person. I find him saying, to be passive to in what I've read. Anything. I mean, if you're, mm -hmm. if you're, I mean, you know, I'm not saying, well, yeah, he I'm not saying you kill, kill him. I'm just, yeah. you know, you think that there would be some sort of interaction, you know, hey, I mean, it's, um, but yeah, I thought that was very peculiar too. It's like he almost just kind of blew it off and um, yeah. they went on about their lives. Yep. Because she has, you know, assured him that it was all over. Yeah. So this is how the affair starts. They are at a volleyball game and, um, she has already thought about this about three times. It, according to the movie, you see her thinking all the time. And she admits in court that she did want to have an affair with someone, not necessarily particularly Alan Gore. It just happened this way. So uh, she approaches him and says, are you interested in having an affair? And he sort of is taken back. And I want to so I'm kind of going to portray her more as like the bored housewife. Y'all remember, she's only like 28 years old when this happened. It's not like this woman is middle-aged and needs to change. She doesn't seem very bored though because she's always doing something. She's kind of, you know, portrayed bored as, at a, home. as a, I know, but a busy body always creating these activities for herself to keep herself busy. And that's, you know, but. We knows? all have secrets, I guess. Do Deep, we, do we all have secrets? Is that what <laughs> you're trying to say? Secrets. We all have secrets, huh? Something, something living inside her just had to come okay. out, I guess. So, good, good thing you're working, I guess, <laughs> and not bored at home. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, so she approaches him about this affair, and he's kind of taken back a little bit. But for a man, Chris, I don't know. 
things aren't good for him at home right now. His wife had just had a baby. She's dealing with some postpartum. Maybe he felt like this was flattering or, you know, exciting, and maybe he needed the same thing. I don't know. But it actually didn't happen at first. Um, These two started making pros and cons and literally writing them out of the pros and cons of the affair. They would go out to dinner. Got to be more cons than pros, I assume. I mean, they really (laughs) thought this out. And... They decided at some point, let's do this, right? Yeah, there was kind of the, there was it. a lot of planning into this. Like, really, I mean, you think um, after you've thought about it for that long, you would clearly see that this was the wrong thing to do. But and I mentioned they they started this fair nine months nine months after they met. But listen, this affair, Chris, came with some rules. They laid down some rules in this pros and cons list. The first one is that either party could end the affair at any time with no questions asked. Number one. Number two, all the expenses, the rooms, the food, the gas, everything would be split between them and paid in cash only. Very nice. Untraceable. (laughs) No paper trail. (laughs) Um, They could only meet on the weekdays. No weekends. That's family time. Family time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Candy would provide. Highly important. (laughs) Highly important. Uh, Candy would provide the lunches because these happen during the day, during the week, during his lunch hour mostly. Um, And so she would pack lunches and bring them for the lunch break at the Como Motel. That had to be his rule. These were the rules that... that. (laughs) Okay, if you've listened to our show, we would be bringing the lunch because I I don't cook and he cooks everything on the show. Well, and and looking at these rules and, and... and how much you hate rules, I guess you would not. This would not have been your type of affair. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I kind of like, I make decisions like this. I'm not, yeah. not going to take months. I've already forgot about it at that point. Yeah, you the don't fair, wanna, the fair's over in You don't want to skip your lunch break, you know? I mean, you know. <laughs> I work at Parkland. I get 30 minutes for lunch. And let me tell you what, it goes real quick, so... And I work at home, and Chris hates on me every day for it because yeah. he says I have to walk 18 feet to my office. Yeah. She does not eat at <laughs> Parkland every day like I do. So. All right. So their relationship was kept a total secret. So in the show, I'm sorry, I'm going to move this up a tad bit. In the show, you are going to see um, her tell some friends or her, she's talking about having an affair, which I do believe she did talk about having an affair, but she never named his name. But really, they they didn't tell anyone. I mean, I'm this gonna, affair was. I'm going to need you to move that microphone up just a hair. You, you it keeps getting lower. Okay. No, no, no. The one on the the big 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 knob over on the side. No, 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 no. There you go. Just just a little bit. Yeah. I'm not the equipment person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's better. Oh, thank yeah, you so much. I can much. hear you much better. Thank you so much. They'll hear you the same out there, but I hear you much better. Okay. So. I don't probably don't even need one of these, but yeah. okay. So nobody knew about this affair. Um, I thought this was interesting because I always like to look at history and see how much we're paying for things now and what people paid um, back then. In order for them to get a room at the Como Motel, they were paying $23.50 plus the $2 deposit for the key. It's 28 now. It's tw- it is not 28 now. If you've never been to the Combo Motel, it is off of Central Expressway near the Papados, right? And Papacitos right there? Papados. Yeah, it is oh so shady still. <laughs> um, and, I mean, and we actually have had it's um, – it is very surprising it still stands because a lot of nefarious activity goes on there. We actually have a friend of ours whose uh, son had passed away at that hotel. Uh, he was kind of into some bad things. I, a lot of bad things kind of go on there, but – it's so strange because it's something you would see um, like in the old days of Harry Hines before it would kind of had a little resurgence and yeah. it's kind of just smack dab sitting there in between all this other stuff and houses and whatnot. And, yeah. Well, Wiley's near Plano and the reason they chose, chose Richardson because that's where it is. Yeah. It's in Richardson um, was just to kind of get out of the area. And it was kind of like well, you said, uh, a little seedy, right? Like this is a this is kind of a well, no, and I mean, affair, if you think about you know? it too, that that was pr- seemed like a far drive back then because there yeah. was not so much in between. I mean, now you, you know, there's uh, development all through there, but that was that seemed like you're really getting away out of town, and out of Wiley, if you were going to Richardson. Now yeah. it doesn't seem like much, but yeah. Um, all right. Well, one day. Based on that rule number one, anyone can end the affair at any moment with no questions asked. And that's what Candy Montgomery does. She decides, you know what? 
This guy, and there, it is rumored. I haven't found this actually in print. If you do, let me know. Uh, but apparently she confi confided, like, once all of this came out, that he was not a very good lover, that she probably shouldn't have even either done it with him or chosen someone different. Like, she wasn't even, these two actually were never going to be in love. They didn't want to leave their spouses. There was never any discussion about any, um, I feel like it is falling, um, any discussion about any of this ever. It's, it's righty tighty, lefty Lucy. There you go. I got it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so this affair. Um, she probably got tired of making lunch. <laughs> that is a lot of lunches. They met like once a week, though. I mean, once or twice a week. It wasn't like every day. Yeah. So I don't. That, that's your deal breaker right there. Right? <laughs> if you look in, rules are I'd be like, man, I am going to miss lunch today. He's hot, but you know. Yeah. All right. Well, the affair. Pork chops is not going to work. <laughs> the affair ended seven months before Betty Gore is killed. Now, I think this is an important part of this. Okay. Seven months. It's done. They don't talk anymore. They don't meet anymore. There's no dinners. There's no escapades. There's there's nothing. So in June of 1980, um, this is now we're going back to the preschool and the night that she goes to Betty Gore's house. Okay. Affair has been over. She does not know. Uh, uh, that's what Alan Gore and, and Candy Montgomery feel. And really, they moved on. There was... There's nothing to say they tried to get back together or did any of this. So they moved on with their lives. Now, she can't get a hold of her, so she goes to Betty Gore's house. She tells um, the people at the preschool she's going to Betty Gore's house. So she tells people where she's going, so she can't deny she was actually there. And we'll talk about that in a second. So uh, she shows up at the home. Betty Gore answers the door. And she says she welcomes her into the living room, and they're starting to talk about the girls spending the night again at Candy's, going to a movie, and she needs to get her swimsuit because they're going to go swim. Now, we're in June in Texas. It's hot. It's summer. So they're swimming. So she goes over there to get those things, and this is when she – now, when I say this is when she – I'm talking about what she says in court and in trial because we only know of two people that were there, Betty Gore and Candy Montgomery, and there's only one of those – people here to tell us what happened. So this is based on Candy Montgomery's um, version of events. She said that she goes into Betty Gore's home and Betty immediately confronts her about the affair. Now remember, it's been over for this many amount of months. Alan Gore is out of town. He's out of town working. Um, and we know that if Betty Gore, if this, if this story is true, we know Betty Gore never told Alan Gore she knew, which I find a little strange. So, well, let's keep talking about that. Okay, so uh, she says that Betty confronts her. She admits to the affair. She tells her it's been over for X amount of months. There is nothing else going on. She's apologizing. She's telling her she's sorry. Now, again, in the show and in reality, she's dealing with postpartum. She has a crying baby at home. The, the baby, she, Candy Montgomery will say she heard the baby crying. She never actually saw the baby according to, to her um, testimony. But she said that Betty Gore just simply turns around, walks away. She's assuming to go get the swimsuit. Um, um, she walks sort of like in the laundry room area, the garage area. And this is when she said Betty Gore returns with an ax. So, she said Betty Gore takes a swing at her. Now, Candy Montgomery did have a cut on the top of her foot. They don't know if it was from hitting Betty or Betty hitting her, but she did have a slice um, near, the, near the big toe. Um, she wrestles, she tells the court, she somehow wrestles the ax away from Betty Gore. And then she hits her in the head one time. Now, she, tell, she says that she tells Betty Gore, like, just stop. Let's just stop this. And I need, let, I'm going to walk out of here and this will be over. And now she's not so severely injured that she's not understanding. And Candy simply says she, will, she won't let it go. So it's when that conversation is taking place that Betty Gort, and this is a big part of um, why Candy Montgomery was not um, charged in this case um, and actually not convicted in this case, is because Betty Gore, Candy Montgomery says, Betty Gore says, Shh, like that. Shh. And that is when she proceeds to ax her 41 times, 28 times to the face. Betty Gore was unrecognizable. Um, but we're talking about major overkill here. 41 times. Um, by the way, Candy Montgomery is petite, tiny. This is why at first police did not suspect her. They didn't think there was any way this woman could pick up a three-foot axe 
and hit someone 41 times with it. Well, I, I, um, I kind of believe her story. I don't think she went over there to murder her. No, nope. I don't and think I, she and went I over there to murder her either. There was a confrontation, either. and it sounds as though she did end up getting the best. Yes, overkill. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it is believable that it did was a conflict and it went got out of hand. Something sure. she mentions that I tend to believe her story is that. Now I don't know about the whole resurgence of your something that happened in your childhood to make you We'll talk about who that came from and why it was even talked about in court. But one thing she said was Betty Gore brought out the letters and the cards that, now this is something I didn't know before, and then I was reading some trial transcript, and it said that she even brought up the cards and the letters that she had wrote to Alan Gore, um, because this is the 1970s. We're still writing love letters, right? That's odd. They're meeting at a hotel in Richardson, no paper trail, cash only, but yet you've left this paper trail. Yeah, the first date they went on was actually for, on Candy's birthday. And he gave her a birthday card. So this was the first interaction of cards and notes being passed. Was that like your, bir- like your how we celebrate your birthday month? <laughs> That's a lot of dates. I've, I've brought it down to a week. Be birthday week. Okay. <laughs> Don't believe her. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this is now, now we have um, Betty Gore completely mutilated, laying on the floor. Um, in the show, it shows Candy Montgomery getting into Betty Gore's shower. That's actually not true. She actually got back in her car and drove home and then washed up. So she went home. What about the blood in the car? Clothes. I mean, if she there was some, struck she somebody was not, that many times, mm-hmm. you would think there'd be quite a bit of blood. Oh, she cleaned it up herself. She actually yeah, I mean, was I, not covered I guess too, as back, back, head to toe as you would think. It's not like today where they would go seize the car and, and, and I mean, and, and yeah. I guess by the time they already, she, well, we'll get to that. She had point. cleaned it. I mean, she had drove home, which wasn't that far from where, where they lived. And she took a shower. She changed her clothes. Now remember, she's supposed to get, be getting back to the preschool. She tells the teachers and the people, there's a play going on with her children and, and Betty's daughter. And so she's late getting back. And so she tells them she just lost track of time, um, that her and Betty just got to talking and, um, you know, that she apologized for being, for being late, picking back up the kids. But she literally went from hacking a woman to death, take, going home, taking a shower, changing her clothes, going back to the preschool, picking up the children and literally just going on with her day like nothing actually happened. So there has to be, so... I know everybody's like, oh, wow, you know, she got triggered. There has to be a little sociopathness in that, right? <laughs> like, right? Yeah. To go on with your day and like, and then when people are asking you about your interaction with her, and we're going to talk about that, because what, what did Betty say to you that day, right? Because at first, she's missing, like nobody's heard from her. So anyways, let's, let, let's talk about this. Well, right. I, that's, I think that's also something that comes up in the trial, the lack of remorse, Yes. Or guilt for just, you know, what occurred. Oh, what? Did she remember to get the child swimsuit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to, you know what? In both shows, they don't see her walking out with one. I am going to assume she did because she went and continued with the day as usual. It's not until the nighttime that someone actually asks her about Betty Gore. But so that, the day's that, over. That is She's kinda, now at home in the evening. That is kind of creepy, though, too. After you've done all that, you're going to take the time to go get the bathing suit to, to kind of keep on about your day as though nothing's occurred. I know. Yeah. So there has to be a little of course, some at that point, Yeah, because you're clearly aware after your state of triggeredness. Uh, I don't even know what you would call that. I don't know. But is the mind, we, the mind is so powerful. Like, I'm obsessed with learning about our mind because it is – I think like the way you think could literally change your life. I'm a big believer in that. So do you get to the point, does does her mind, if that trigger thing was real, is it just like a blank slate? Are we dealing with someone who can't, who, who doesn't know reality from whatever I'd, she's thinking in her mind? I'd be interested how many times in, uh, since this case that that's defense argument has been, has gotten someone off of a murder. Well, I'll share my reasons I think she was let off for this murder. By the way, this woman is not convicted of this murder. And we know who actually did it. Yes, ma'am. Just a quick question. Yeah. So did the babies stay in the crib? All right. So here we go. Now we're going to – yeah, you're good. You're good. We are – all right. So now Betty Gore is deceased. Candy Montgomery has gone on with her day. Well, guess who can't get a hold of his wife? Alan Gore. He keeps calling the house, and he cannot get a hold of her. He actually calls Candy Montgomery and says – 
hey, have you seen Betty today? She says, yes. I was actually there this, you know, earlier today. I had to get Alyssa's swimsuit. I had a conversation. Well, was everything okay? Yeah, everything was fine. Okay, well, I can't get a hold of her. Okay, do you want me to go and check on her? And he tells her no. No, no, just, I mean, I know the affair's been over for seven or nine months, but maybe he just doesn't want her, like, alone. Who knows, right? So he says no. He, ca- he tries calling several more times, does not get a hold of her, and then he decides that he's going to call his buddies in the neighborhood. So he calls a couple of men in the neighborhood, and he asks him to go over there and check on, on Betty. So they see her car out front. They call him back and tell him that. Okay, now, I'm, now he's really worried. The car's out front, and he tells them, you have to get into my house. They end up getting into the house, and they hear the baby crying. Well, I think, too, he's – obviously, he knows her state um, of mind. Exactly. probably thinks that she exactly. may – She, too, may have done something um, you know, to herself to, to, to harm herself or the baby, for that matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the men go in. They hear the baby crying. Uh, one of them immediately goes to, to tend to the baby. The baby is soiled. Um, there was – you know, the baby had been there all day. It was crying like it was hungry. It, it, they felt like the, the, well, the probably, all of the lights were out in the or, house. 10 or 12 hours had elapsed at this point, mm-hmm. I guess. Right? Yeah, because this is probably like eight, seven, eight o'clock at 8 o'clock at night. I mean, it's in, it's in the evening. Yeah, yeah. because the, the, what time? This uh, was about 10.30 no, or 11 the in the morning. T- yeah, 10, I was going to say 10.30 or 11 in the morning. Yes. Um, all right, so the men get one of the women and the wives in the, in the neighborhood to take the baby. And they find some blood coming out from underneath, I would say, like the laundry room door because the, the garage door is connected into the laundry room door. You know, I just want to say one thing. Yeah. That, that else, that's what else is strange. You know, she got the bathing suit, mm-hmm. did nothing to address this child who's clearly crying in the background Mm-mm. and just leaves them there. Mm-hmm. Sociopath. Which, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. like that's that was her priority was making sure to get Sociopath. the bathing suit, not the child. Um, I mean, yeah. Um, so they, um, so the baby is clearly just has been left alone, right? Um, thankfully, the baby was not hurt. Um, so they find Betty Gore. There is blood running underneath the door so thick that one of the men said that it looked like it was like not halfway up his shoe, but it was almost like walking into a puddle of something. And it was so dark. Like it, they just really didn't know what they were looking at. And they opened the door. And that is when they find Betty Gore laying there. Now, because of her state of mind, they immediately call Alan Gore back and tell him what they have found. And they call police, of course. But the thing is, is they tell Alan Gore, it looks like Betty has shot herself. So we have the, we talk about this all the time. When you make a 911 call, by the way, if you don't know this, 911 calls are recorded before they even pick up the phone. So if you've got anything to say that is incriminating to you before 911 picks up, just so you know, they're going to hear that because they start recording when that phone rings. Um, but yeah, not only do we report crime, we, we assist you in getting away with it. Yes. <laughs> fun they're just facts right everybody should know these little facts or our true crime aficionados out here um all right so um i lost my train of thought oh shooting yes the shot so um the neighbors the men are like you know betty has shot herself so again back to the 911 call um this is again what they tell the police on the 911 call we think betty has shot herself we have someone here who has shot herself well when you call in a report so we always say some people call in and go we have a suicide to report or we have you know whatever they think it is is how they report it to 911 so when when investigators and police approach a house they're dealing with whatever is said in that 911 call, right? So if, it, if it's a suicide, that's the way they're going to treat it until evidence shows otherwise. If it's a fire, we talked about this in the yogurt shop murders, right? The police saw the fire. They had no idea the bodies of the girls were actually inside of the yogurt shop. The call was made as a fire. So what happened? They came, they sprayed the whole place down with water, and then they realized there's bodies in there. Now the evidence is all washed away, right? So it's important when you're making those calls, in my opinion, to just say, we have a deceased person, you know, um, there's blood. I mean, just be detailed, but don't tell people like what happened when you don't know. So of course she was not shot. They end up, you know, doing the autopsy. She's axed 41 times. Um, Now, they soon realize Candy Montgomery is the last person to see Betty Gore alive. Uh, they Once Alan Gore finds out, and he's talked to by police, he, uh, he comes home immediately. He tells police about the affair. So this is how police find out that he was sleeping with Candy Montgomery. 
Then they find out Candy Montgomery visited Betty Gore that day. Um, she does not lawyer up or anything at this point. She has a discussion with investigators and she says, yes, I saw Betty Gore. I got the swimsuit. I had a conversation. I went back to the preschool. Um, yes, people knew I was over there, but when I left her, she was alive and well. The baby, you know, fine and well, not crying. Everything seemed legit and normal, right? All right. Well, and I think too, just, um, at this point, they didn't know how many times she'd been hit with an axe, but just seeing that and yeah. swinging an axe that many times, being a petite person, I mean, even, um, you know, just out chopping around the back, I guess that's very tiring and takes a lot of strength. Oh, yes. my gosh. Yeah. 41 times. Yes. I mean, this woman is teeny tiny, right? And so she denies it. She's like, Betty was fine. And they just don't think, I think from the very beginning, they look at this woman and think, there's no way she did this, right? She's a mother. I mean, this is, we're talking about 1970s. This is not something, I mean, we had, there were women murderers, but there were not women serial killers. That was really just around the time serial killer was even being used, right? So women in axing, and th this was not like something common that, that they saw. And I think this kind of goes hand in hand with why she wasn't actually convicted with this, for this crime. Um, all right, so now she's starting to get a under, under the heat, She's starting, police are like, okay, you were having an affair with the husband. Now we've got some motive here. Um, you know, you were the last one to see her. So things are a little heating up for her. So she decides she needs to finally talk to an attorney. And she chooses someone by the name of Don Crowder. And he is actually um, a member of their church. So she goes to Don Crowder and says, you know, Yes, I was having an affair, but I did not do this to Betty. Um, I really need your help. And he says, oh, you did this, didn't you? And she says, no, I didn't do this. And he says. Turn it towards you. Okay. And he Don't says, yes, you did. And if you want me to help you, you need to tell me right now what happened. Yeah. And why they. I guess because he was a friend, um, certainly if you murder somebody, you do want a criminal attorney. He was not a criminal attorney. We'll get to that in a second. I know, but I'm saying, I thought that was a strange choice as well, too. Like, you would even think, too, that he would have referred her. Huh? Who referred you? Well, I mean, if you go see an attorney and you have mm -hmm. a specific issue, uh, mm -hmm. if that attorney can't help you or they're not um, an expert, a lot of times an attorney will you know, give you somebody else. So well, go, go see I don't think she, but I think she realized like this is, she needed someone she knew. I feel like she wanted to talk to someone she knew. She wasn't calling some random. And Don Crowder would go on to say that nobody wanted to represent this woman. I mean, he was a civil law attorney and he actually had his own practice in the 1970s. Um, and, but he was not a criminal attorney and he took on this case because he said, uh, nobody, Nobody wanted to I represent nobody her. nobody would do it. Yeah. yeah. I guess being a friend. Well, and she was like the adult, you know, she was the one who had the affair, right? Like the wife is dead. She has the affair, you know, she's the murderer. I would say thing. in all accounts by taking this case of somebody that's, you know, that turns up, they're guilty, you know? Yeah. So there's not a lot of people that want to take those for sure slam dunk guilty cases, which we find out this is not, but. Well, and Don but, Crowder was not well liked. Um, I mean. I feel like he was well liked after this, but we'll all go on to talk about what happened to him and things that he talked about after this trial. I don't think many attorneys are liked, period. So <laughs> maybe their family. Well, I hope there's no attorney term. But well, he, you know, I he like just he he felt like nobody was going to help her, and he was, you know, he had just started his own practice, and he was a civil law attorney. He wasn't a criminal attorney, so he thought this could be like a big case for me, right? And he he said he wanted to help her, you know. But part of this let's is get, that he, let's get him on the show. Oh, honey, he's dead. We're going to oh. talk about that in a second. Let's get the ghost of oh, Mr. Crowder. That's a totally different show. <laughs> uh, by the way, we just went to Jefferson, Texas, the most haunted city in Texas. If you've never been there, go. I want to live there. So I'm like, I don't want to go back to Dallas. All right. So um, now part of the agreement for her to tell him everything is that she has to turn herself in. So he calls the police and says she's admitted to the murder. We're coming in. He brings her in. She's out. She gets out on bond. And now we have a trial. Okay? Trial is set. And during this trial, now, by the way, 
most defense attorneys will tell their client, don't get on the stand. Don't do it. Just we're better off taking our chances without you opening your mouth. And in some defense attorneys, like in this case, you have your word against someone that's not here anymore. They're going to hear you. They can't hear them. If you're going to sell yourself and you're going to talk and get yourself off, you've got to get on the stand. So she takes the stand, okay? Um, all right. So let's talk about what she says in court. She tells that story I just told you about what happened with Betty. Um, and then she talks about um, hitting her 41 times and that she had a bad childhood and that her mother was very strict and her mother constantly told her to shh. Okay. So she shares this um, in court. Well, that's what I mean about her getting on the stand though. Cause I, I, I thought that was such controversial, just given the fact she did kind of have a flat effect. About well, the she's whole. she's she's claiming self defense in this case, right? Yes. So, who can? But who better to talk about what happened and and why you use self defense than you yourself? You there, think about this. There's not very many people who can testify in this case, right? Well, I just think it's risky too because the community had already kind of made up their minds. Um, I love the quote you have here about. Um, you know, being a brazen hussy, you don't. You, I didn't use those words. Yeah, no, you. Did I quoted not. it because it was written. In- <laughs> I know that's what I mean, but like hussy, that's old school. Like, you know, that's <laughs> if, that's that's a bad word there. So you know, people are already talking about her, and uh, you know, that's um, like I said, that's a risky move because already yeah. the public's already kind of probably formed their opinion on her. Yeah, and the. But tell the world, you know, show the world this is not you. No, I know. Right? Like, I think that's where – and I think he knew without her testimony and without her story. It was a gamble. It was a total gamble, but he said, it's a gamble we should take. So she does. She gets on the stand. She tells the same exact story that I just told you um, and that she tried to convince Betty that the affair was off and that, you know, there was no reason for the – not no reason for her to be upset – but no reason for violence to keep occurring. She admitted to it. She wanted to talk it out, um, you know, as women. Um, but I want y'all to understand that Betty Gore was not in this courtroom, right? And they're talking about her. And everything they talk about, they, they, the defense focuses on Betty being the aggressor, right? She's the aggressor. She's the one who found out about the affair. Now, here's my question. Did she just find out about the affair before Candy came over? Because she never, this is my one little piece of Candy's story that I'm like, that, this is why I'm like, is this, did it really go down this way? Why didn't she say anything about the affair to her husband? What, the letters, the cards. Why, why approach Candy? She just happens to walk in on the morning of, of finding them. I couldn't really find any details of that. She just found that day. I mean, maybe she had already had them in her possession and, and she just, just what didn't say anything. Well, it just husband? culminated. I'm sure it stewed over it for a while and never, I mean, I don't know. Maybe she felt comfortable approaching her first to find out before asking. Her I husband? imagine there's many cases where um, it, in, in both sides where maybe a man or a woman has, has found things like that and mm-hmm. has kind of kept quiet about it. Maybe who knows for fear of it's, for fear of him leaving her, mm-hmm. maybe so. Yeah. Was well, he ever called as a defense it. witness? I mean, as a uh, prosecution witness? Um, yeah. yeah, he did take the stand, and he just, you know, he talked about the affair. Um, but, I mean, there wasn't – he wasn't – he was out of town. It, he was arrested, by the way. But, um, what, but like then as he far was as let what, go because he was what out of her town. character was? I, I don't know exactly what his testimony was. I'm sorry, I don't. But I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure he had to talk about – because he's displayed too as just being very despondent towards her in the relationship, yeah. Throughout too, like mm-hmm. as though because um, he remarried quickly after mm-hmm. this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of odd. Um, okay, so prosecution—they've got to prove their case, right? And they came from a place of well, um, this woman came there not to necessarily kill her, but. The self-defense claim, like you go home and you shower and then you go along with your, um, you move, you know, you go along with your day and you act like nothing is wrong. So very sociopath type behaviors. Um, and the prosecution definitely questioned her actions of whether she knew what was right and can, what was wrong. Can you adjust that mic for the 10th time? 
sorry, I don't know why it keeps doing that. It's righty tighty, left and loose in bed. I got it. Tight. There you go. All right. You're, okay, you're so you're talking with such force. It's I know. Just it's just bringing <sighs> the, adding the gravity to it. All right. Uh, Self defense claim. So oh, they yeah, had sure. a psychologist get on the stand and said that she put Betty. I'm sorry. That she put Candy under hypnosis. And what she found out in that hypnosis was that the shh that Betty said to her triggered a childhood trauma incident. And then it re- she basically in that moment, instead of seeing Betty Gore, she saw her mother. And then Which, that's why she axed her 41 times. Because she wanted to ax her mother. I guess. That's what's I mean, so tr- crazy about that. Like, what about, I don't know. This is Did huge. You? This is why, I mean, I mean, th- this kind of thing is so interesting. I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you prove this or disprove it? I mean, you're a professional. I, I think it hypnosis. probably started as self-defense. However, it turned into a murder. And that's what's so crazy about the whole uh, being, um, you know, taking in this past memory or whatever that's driven yeah. you to. Yeah. And what sort of aggression did she have towards her mother? Well, just that she was very strict and, and you know, didn't let Candy do. Again, like, I don't know. Just because your mother's strict and, and mean doesn't make, going to make you a sociopath, you is know? That, is so that it's why like, you let our kid do whatever the hell they want to and, and <laughs> always tell me I, to no, shut up? And I'm just a me. natural spoiler. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't want me to say, shh, <laughs> Phoenix, shh. All right, so... Again, we have this trial that portrays Betty Gore as this angry, um, you know, sad, depressed uh, wife at home who was the aggressor in this. She went to get the axe. She came out swinging. Candy Montgomery takes it from her, you know, and then hacks her, um, you know, hacks her once and then tries to tell her to, to stop. And then she tells her to shh. And then now she goes bananas on her and... This woman is on trial. You have a psychologist for the defense that says that she was triggered. And that's why she, that's why we have overkill, you know, but the whole claim of murder is just that it was self-defense. Betty starts it. I was defending myself. This is what I had to do to defend myself. It got a little out of hand because the psychologist said I got triggered from the childhood incident, but this is why this happened. Yeah, it it got out of hand. The jury uh, eventually heard all the testimonies presented and I think they just felt sorry for her. Candy Montgomery got completely off scot-free. She was found not guilty and um, the, self de- cl- the self-defense claim worked. She walked out of that courtroom that day as a free woman. No accountability. Um, and, and this ruined, you know, we always talk about cases that have a cycle of ruining lives, right? It's not just the people that are directly involved. It's it's the parents, it's the children, it's the grandparents. It's all these people that lost Betty that day, right? Her children that never got to grow up and see their mom. And we, you know, we talk about this and we always forget, you know, this woman literally got no accountability and had to do and got no repercussions for axing a woman 41 times. It's kind of wild. It's kind of wild. Not sure that would happen today. It's a little more than wild. I, yeah. I'm not sure on wild. what level anybody could feel sorry for her being shushed as a child. You know, I mean. But I think that, like I said, Betty Gore's not there to tell her story. I mean, I think the jury just looked at this woman, heard about, heard from the psychologist, believed the story that she if was she, having an affair. If she struck her twice with an ax and she died, I could see where the self-defense, I mean, that's to me... Oh, yeah, I, by the I way. think it started like that. They probably got into an argument and yeah. it just a very interesting choice of taking out your aggression on another person that she went out to the garage and got an axe. But uh, 70% of the um, so 70% of the 41 axes um, were all after Betty was unconscious. She actually was dead and unconscious early before the 41. That's what's so crazy, too. Like the woman was dead. The axes, the chops. Chops, sorry. The axes. <laughs> All right. So um, during this whole trial, Pat Montgomery stood by her side. 
Uh, this Katie Montgomery is actually now living in Georgia. She became a school counselor and a therapist, and she actually counsels people and has lived a normal life ever since. Her and Pat Montgomery what eventually type, divorced. Just a general counselor. I think she does like um, kind of like a Dr. Phil, <laughs> Dr. Candy. Dr. Candy. No, she's not a doctor, but I think she became a school counselor. I don't think Dr. Phil's a doctor either, but. <laughs> PhD. You call them doctors. Yeah, you know. Go on. That's a stretch. <laughs> I love Dr. Phil. I met him in person. He's amazing. Yeah, I know. He sat 10 feet up above you. I know. Was, COVID. During COVID. He, he didn't, didn't want to touch anybody. anybody. Crazy. He was on like, a I love you. Like, I, I, I assume he'd be in a pedestal in non-COVID times. Well, because you know Dr. Phil's from Dallas. Dallas. Do y'all know that? Okay, cool. Or pl- yeah. Plano? I was like, I'm from Dallas. He's like, okay. <laughs> Get I have away. a podcast. Get this crazy lady away from yeah, me. Yeah, he's like, security. <laughs> All right. She's in my mustache. Get her away. <laughs> um, Alan Gore remarries a few months after this trial. He yeah, ends that's... up marrying a woman, and he actually does not take custody of his children. His two girls are actually raised by Betty Gore's parents. Um, there was an article recently from his oldest daughter, and he and she says, I figured my mom and dad would have divorced someday. Now, this is interesting. This is so many years later. And she says that she was sad that she never really got to remember her mom, right? And and learn more about her mother and be with her mother. Um, and she said, my mom probably would have moved us back to Kansas. And we probably would have grown up with my grandparents that have raised us. Uh, but he sort of went on with his life, and now it is said that he does have a relationship with his daughters now that they're older, but he actually did not raise them. They went and yeah, lived that, with her. That, that always, I think that's very indicative of their relationship to just move on that sh- that quickly. Yep. Um, much less just give your kids up. I mean, you know, I don't, and I don't think that was out of his sadness or anything like that. No. But, Granted, I am basing a lot of my portrayal on. But do you know that I, I don't know? Read. I don't know statistically, but men are men are like five times more likely to remarry before the woman. The woman, like that's a statistic now. I don't know about then, but it is very common for men to remarry much quicker after something like this than a woman. I don't know why. Well, somebody needs somebody to make them lunch. Right? I figured that's what you were going to say. All Not right. Me, though. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want me making his lunch. All right. Um, so this poor girl said, you know, I think my mom would be proud of me and my sister. Um, but, you know, they did grow up and live normal lives, thankfully. Don Crowder, the attorney, he actually had a great career right down the street in Collin County. Um, he served as their city attorney in Allen for 22 years. So he goes on. Um, to be um, the city attorney for Allen. Now, his mental health started to decline. He lost his brother in 1997 in an accident, and he got very depressed. He started using cocaine and alcohol. Um, He tries to kill himself uh, twice and does not succeed, and he ends up getting arrested for a DWI in Allen in Collin County, and he was so embarrassed. um, He basically started staying in his house and not coming out. he one of the suicide attempts, Chris, was on his own birthday. God, that's just like, you know, so that's pretty heartbreaking. Like, that's really some sadness, you know, on your own birthday. No doubt. Um, so he survives this attempt, but then on November tenth, nineteen ninety eight, he ends up taking his life successfully um, at his home. So, and that is why we won't have him on the show. And that's why he will not be on the show. Yes. Um. Yeah, and that is what I have about Candy Montgomery. So thank you for listening to us. And do you have any questions, thoughts? Yeah. Did they, did the Montgomery's divorce? Yes, eventually. So I don't have a year. I couldn't find a year, but eventually they separated and then eventually divorced. So they are not married. They're actually both in their 70s. I think Pat Montgomery is 75. Um, yeah, I mean, he stuck eventually. with her through a, a lot. I mean, he ended up moving through, through an affair and a murder. Um he, he, he deserves some kudos. Yeah, he's he deserves somebody to make him lunch. That's mm-hmm. for sure. There's no doubt. Yeah. And then right. from what I read, that insanity plea mm-hmm. was the first time that had, that had never been used in Texas. Texas. Mm-hmm. That was that idea of a Interesting. childhood trauma. Yeah. Really? Okay. I didn't yeah. well, know like that. Well, it's it new. new. Yeah, it's new. And which makes me wonder, like, is was it so new that it was believable? Like, if you're a jury, right, and you're hearing that, you're like, oh, yeah, is that possible? Right. Well, like, I mean, that would make a lot of sense as to 
if it if it was literally the first case and nobody had been presented with this tor- type of defense, and so that I don't you know, know what balloon, I would like to have blown people's show? minds to yeah. You know what I would like to have on the show? I would like to have a psychologist, psychiatrist come on and talk about this case, yeah. and talk about that mental state. And see if that is plausible, or did this woman get away with it? As long her? as he doesn't talk about us. <laughs> <laughs> or she talks about so us. Wiley's both in Dallas and Collin County. So was she charged in Collin County or Dallas County? And then what was the mm-hmm. charge? Yeah, so first she was Collin County. It was, um, yeah, I think it was in Collin County. That oh, like first degree murder. I'm not sure. Was it manslaughter, murder? How? What, what were the charges? It well, it was going to be, um, I thought it was first degree. I don't think it was capital murder. I don't think it was capital murder. I think it was like first degree murder, but she was found not guilty on, on all charges. Yeah. Yeah. Like she just walked out of court that day. Yeah. Did they, did she leave the ax there? Yeah. They found the murder weapon. It was actually propped up against the wall. Yeah. And and they figured out that immediately. So once police got on the scene and they saw the body and they saw the ax, they knew it was not a gunshot wound. Yeah. They knew that pretty, pretty early on. Hi. Yeah, so it was a self-defense case, um, and that she basically said she was she murdered her because of her the girl attacking her in her house, right? And it tri- it triggered an ev- a, mm-hmm. not an event. I guess she was her mother shushed her when they not an insanity sh- plea because insanity it's when you don't know right from wrong. So that never really came up in the case because she already admitted to doing it. It was more of the self-defense and the the mental trigger yeah, she, of she, the, the the actual action of the murder. The uh, because yeah because something happened as a child she was driven to this state by the by mm-hmm. the by the shushing I guess when her mother would shush her to be quiet or well she was in the hospital yeah something about her in the hospital yep and was having surgery or something mm-hmm. I'm talking about no you're right yeah mm-hmm. and she's in pain mm-hmm. and then her mother keeps telling her to shh yep. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want her to be a problem with the nurses. That's right. Yeah. Stop. Shh, hush, mm-hmm. hush. And then when Betty Gore mm-hmm. uses that same verbiage, mm-hmm. that sets her off. Mm-hmm. But again, there's no DNA in those days. There's no, I know. No. Well, and, and, and through her hypnosis, too, I mean, there's no telling how many events, and they probably just said, we'll go with that one and see how it goes. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. she's um, probably recalling many different things that happened in her past in her youth or, or whatever. Yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to have like a therapist or psychologist on and talk about that mental state. And you know, would that, how would that look in a courtroom today versus 1970? Yeah. Hi. It kind of reminds me of the Lizzie Borden. Yes. There's no doubt. Oh, you yes. know, I just watched a, a series on the Lizzie Borden. Oh, I want to cover that case too. That was yeah, bizarre. Wax. I mean, she only wax. gave 40 wax, not 41. <laughs> And I forgot. I think that's how the story goes. Yeah. So you know, not to get off track, but the Lizzie Borden. So I didn't. I don't think I realized that she had murdered the stepmother and then went back and sat in the dining room. Or if she did it, like this is what they say she did. She murdered the stepmother because the father actually wasn't home at the time. He ends up coming home and falling asleep on the couch, which is why when you look at the Lizzie Borden murder scene, the the crime scene photos, he's like propped over like this on the couch. So he fell asleep and they said that was her time to go and finish him off. So that's a very- Does anybody remember that made- Lizzie Borden got off. Made for TV movie about that? Yeah, Yeah, they sang the song too. I'm trying to think of the actress that was- um, I don't. It was. Uh, she was. I, but yeah, that that creeped me out a lot as a kid. I yeah, remember that. That's great. That's a. Yeah, she got off scot free too. Yeah. So when this is just a side note. So when yeah. my brother was making yeah. this yeah. film, that's so interesting. Yeah, tell us more. This, so the reenactment. He had all. I mean, I, I got to see the crime scene photos and the autopsy, yeah. all that stuff. But he contacts Betty Gore's daughters mm-hmm. and says, "This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. I have all this stuff mm-hmm. on your mom." You know, mm-hmm. would you like some closure? Would you be interested? Oh. I can come up and bring what I have or whatever. And they just passed on it. Like yeah. They had just completely, yeah. they're the ones you need to get on your podcast. Uh, but they, yeah. had, they were raised by their grandparents and pretty much disconnected with that's right. their dad. Mm-hmm. Until adulthood. And, and even if that's true, I don't know if they, if, but people say that they, that he does have a Facebook account. There are some people who say they've actually looked them up and to see that they are friends on Facebook. So they, some people believe he has a relationship with his daughters now, but they were totally estranged. Yeah. And so totally. They, the kids had no interest. Yeah. And they're grown. Yeah. They're grown. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
Brian said they just took a hard pass on Wow. It, which is, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, yeah it's very sad, too. Just like, I mean, it's almost like they've disconnected from the whole event. Well, it's like your children, right? So when you're raised, you're only, it's like a storytelling, right? Like you're told a story about what happened, but it's hard for you to, I think, to kind of feel that sensitivity connection to it because you're children and you don't know your mom. So there's like that lack of like, yeah, there's that feeling of like, my mother isn't here, but that whole like, it's not like they knew her for like 15, 20 years, right? They, there was like not that. And, and the other one was a baby, like she, that, that, that she doesn't probably yeah, remember her mother. Yeah, but she obviously never, mother, never yeah. knew her. So, yeah. so, so we so. interviewed the two men that went over to the mm -hmm, house mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. night, mm -hmm. and one of the men talks about that baby had been in that. She was like a toddler. Oh yeah, she had been in that crib all day, all day, and had pretty much screamed herself hoarse. Yeah, I do remember was that. No, oh, no. Yeah. But they were the first two over, and they were the ones yeah. that called the police. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think maybe the prosecution kind of failed because you're making the point that no one was there to speak up for Betty, and what mm -hmm. an unfortunate last name. Mm -hmm. if you cut it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, here she is, her husband cheats on her, and then she's murdered yeah. by the husbands because she said, Shh. "I mean." Well, I think they really dropped the ball because she lied at first, you know, yeah, and just did. said left the baby there. She had to be, and I mean. Her state of mind that she w took a bathing suit and said did not address the child in there. Mm -hmm. There's so many things, and they probably just they they did a poor, very poor job because like, yeah, I mean, well, the DA was Tim O'Connell, and what he said was the problem that the prosecution had, and the, and the, well, one, you have the one story from Candy Montgomery, right? So you're fighting a story that is told by the person that's there. And and you don't have any really other. Oh, sorry, I didn't. I thought I was just talking on. to them. I thought we were done on the microphone. I'm recording everything. We oh, record okay. everything. Um, but he's the the thing about the prosecution is they said she could have fled. She didn't have to bludgeon her to death. She could have fled, and this is why we should find her guilty. Like, it really was. She made a bad decision. Like, and, and yeah, did she know right from wrong? Of course she did. Like, there was no denying that she did it and she admitted to it. And she, you know, again, sociopath, um, no, no, like you see her in court, just this blank look on her face. So I don't know. Like, I think there's some sociopathic tendencies that should have been talked about and discussed. Maybe not in 1978, 79 when this was happening. Um, but you know, they basically said it was overkill. And the reason it was overkill is because, you know, she wanted her husband. I mean, what did they have to go on, you know? And then Alan Gore is like, well, no, the affair had been over for, you know, seven, nine months, right? And it's like, oh, the affair's over. Hmm. So why would she want to kill her after the affair's already been over that long, right? Like it's as far like as trying to find husband. a motive or something like that. Yeah, like, like a that. motive I mean of why. You know, why, why didn't this woman just walk away, you know? Why did she just... It is so tight. I can't go anymore. Okay. Um, why didn't she just walk away? Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just going to hold it. I'm just going to hold it like this. I'll, I'll fix it here in a second. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right. Well, what time? Are, oh, it's 10.07. Right. What time should we be finished? Pat Montgomery, nobody really knows where he is. They don't even really know a year they divorced, but they just know they're not together anymore. So if anybody does find an information about where they are. Um, but it is said she's still living in in Atlanta, I think in Atlanta or Georgia, in Georgia. Uh -huh, yeah. So yeah, like before I mentioned insanity, it seems yeah. like the defense's claim is that because she was, she was shush is what sets her off. That's right. And so, For the overkill, right? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, wouldn't it seem like in a modern day context, like the prosecution or the defense would be probably claiming insanity yeah. And the prosecution would be pushing for maybe a lesser sentence, but like mm -hmm. at least for her to be institutionalized so that she doesn't well, and Yes. Well, that's why I think, too. In yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Insanity yeah. would have been the poor choice because she would have had to live her, you know, well, I don't know how long when you're committed, but I mean, go to someplace. Um, I guess my only reference would be like Terrell. You know, you'd be committed to somewhere like that. Well, Andrea Yates. Yeah. Yeah, she's advising. That is she's a scary. A, it's yeah. socio. It's weird. Like that's what I'm saying. There are some sociopathic tendencies. You gotta wonder here. who would hire her because certainly murder is going to show up on her resume at some point, right? You know, <laughs> she uh, a different name. She's not under Candy Montgomery. I mean, she changed all of that. Yeah, in order to work. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know anything about civil suits. Um, I'm sure there probably were some. There typically are. I don't. I just don't know how. Um, in so, she, so she's been handled. fingerprinted. If she was yeah. to ever get a job that required a fingerprint, it would show that she was arrested for this crime. She is- could have told them exactly what happened and who she was. I mean, I don't think that. I mean, does she live a secret life? Is she going to meet people in Georgia who don't know who she is? Absolutely. I mean, she got out of Texas. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I, interview, she's lived I a- interview a lot of people at work. I got to say, if this was to come up, yeah, you know, we might move on to the next candidate. I mean, it's... Uh, well, she's she may be... Gotta be a she's probably retired now. Yes. What about her kids? Have they, has they I, have, I have not seen anything about her children. Um, I know that Pat Montgomery, I mean, they stayed together. Um, I don't know. I don't know anything about their kids. Do you? I haven't seen anything. I do not. I mean, I think, too, that's got to be one of those things. Um, even though her mother was found not, their, their mother was found not guilty. Yeah. Um, I mean. I'm sure there's information on that. I just don't Yeah, know. but I mean, I was going to say, I think that's probably an embarrassing thing, and they probably are very yeah. hush-hush quiet. 